Hello, and welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the show where Charles stole the Zoom password so that he could go off and do something random again. Before I introduce myself and our guests, I want to say right up front, this episode is an emergency episode to talk about the new release, The Fallen Star, by Claudia Gray. If you have not read The Fallen Star, we are about to spoil The Fallen Star right out of the gate. So if you have not read it, turn around now, go read it, and then come back to this episode. With that said, I'm Charles Rogers. Hi, I'm Chris. Uh, I do podcast stuff as well. I've been on the show before. This is the second time, by the way, Bradley hasn't shown up to face me, just to put that out there. Uh, I know this is like a last minute like emergency thing, so obviously he wasn't going to show up, but here I am. He also can't read. Hi, I'm Hope. Um, I am a writer for Geeky Waffle. I am also occasionally on their Star Wars podcast, uh, Space Waffles, and I also have my own Star Wars podcast, which is J Guys and Jedi, and my mm. my co-podcaster also doesn't read, so I have no one to scream about Fallen Star with, and so I immediately was, like, almost spoiling Chris by accident. <laughs> That was it's the funniest. True. The funniest thing that's happened this week, actually. We had a uh, we have a group chat uh, with the three of us to organize this particular type of episode recording. And uh, Hope, bless her heart, was so excited to talk about the Fallen Star that she didn't realize that Chris hadn't finished it yet. That <laughs> so we had to flood the chat with like, "Do not scroll up. Do don't not open scroll this, Chris. Up. Don't open this." I yeah. so Meanwhile, I am crying because I'm listening to the book, and and like whenever something horrible happens, uh, poor Charles became my uh, emotional punching bag. I would be like, "What the fuck? Why? Why? Why?" And Charles read the book like way like very quickly, so he was already done. I read it in. Uh, I think it was roughly 15 hours from start to finish. I started wow. it right after Book of Boba Fett at about 12:45 in the morning on the 5th, and I finished it about 5 o'clock in the afternoon on the 5th. If I hadn't have had to podcast that Tuesday and like have to do like podcast outlines and record the show, I would have read it all in one day. Um, but I, I had other obligations, so I, I took two days to read it, and my fellow waffle, Arzu, had already finished it, and she is a Stellan Geos stan. Oh, so, damn. Like, mm. so I kept asking her, I was like, you know, are you okay? And she was like, I don't want to answer that. And then I got to the end and I was like, why writing her? I'm like, I'm here if you need to talk to me, honey. <laughs> I was I was waiting for Hope to finish it because of the Leox Giasi. Oh god. The moment Leox showed up, I was, I was so like, scared. I was devastated. I like Affy's just grief the way that Claudia writes Affy trying to push through her grief and then she gets down to the planet's surface and the minute she's safe she just like breaks down and Lyrics is behind her like damn so- that's a lot of crying <laughs> <laughs> if you left this book not loving Leox Giassi or the Vessel Cruel you are dead to me and you're dead inside I, they were they this were my favorite book. They were, yeah. This was their book. This, I, and bear in mind, I, I still haven't read all the young adult books and comics where they've been featured. Um, I didn't know them that well. Leox and Geode are both my new favorite Star Wars characters, especially Geode. I love, I love the whole Geode bits in the whole book. It was the <laughs> only, the only time I could even crack a smile and not be emotionally devastated was when he was in it. Um, so I, and Leox, though, when Leox fucking fell out of that 
fell off the airlock, whatever the dock, whatever it was. I was I that was the moment where I was like, "Fuck this book! I'm not fucking reading this shit anymore." And I somehow <laughs> found the strength to get back to it, and thank God he survived. So, actually, maybe that's a good thing to like maybe open with. Like, what did we all think of this book? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely. Hope, uh, since you posed the question, why don't you give us your quick review of the book? Um, I actually really like this book a lot more than Rising Storm. Actually, I, I felt found this a lot easier to read. And, and some of that is personal preference. There's just things in Rising Storm that are just, I don't like reading violence. I don't like reading gore. And crowd crushes are my phobia way to die. <laughs> like that's my phobia. So it was a really difficult book to read. But I think the difference with that is like Claudia gave us more like little victories where Rising Storm just felt relentless um, and just like kept coming and coming and coming. And and yeah, so like personal preference, I really enjoyed this book, even though more named character dies. Like there's a lot more named characters that bite it, but yeah. I feel like this was a lot more enjoyable time as much as it hurt. And I really and I really liked it. And it gave me some new people to love, like poor one out to regal Cole. Like he was only in like Five. half the book and I fell in love with him. I'm like, can we have more Cole? He is, I need the dad joke Jedi. <laughs> I think. And I love his audiobook. He almost sounds like that. Ah, oh, see, like, you know, you gotta have a joke with a little cigar. Ha ha ha. That, that, that old like 20s actor kind of like voice. There's a mysterious uh, human male Jedi in when they're fighting the Dringir. And I, have I need, to wonder if that's Cole. I need Kevin to confirm on Twitter. I was thinking about tweeting at him later this week and just being like, is this Cole? Yeah. Like you said this guy has a name. Is this Cole? I was wondering mm. that too, because he is a part of Avar's crew. Cause I was looking at Cole and they're like, yeah, Cole's in like issue nine of the Marvel run. And I was like, is he? <laughs> is he, he is? really? Apparently like he doesn't. Okay. So sign. that was him. That was him. I, well, we don't know for sure still. Like, he just has a call sign. Like, he's like, Cole's in position, and that's it. Oh, okay. But hmm. he's, he's a baby. I will say, I really like so far um, in the higher public era, and this is a slight thing, but Cole just reminded me, all the children caregivers, except for, like, one, are either male or non-binary. So I'm here mm. for that. Like, those gender roles being different, because it's Psy, Yoda, Buck, and Cole so far. Uh, other than, like, the old creepy lady singing nightmare nursery rhymes too still <laughs> um but most the majority of them are male or non-binary and i like that kind of gender swap of they're the ones taking care of the babies chris why don't you give us your your little review of fallen <coughs> star it's so complicated uh so the writing was brilliant i love the book ultimately i have some problems with the separate there were there were clear indicators in the book that like other things were happening but because that's happening in other media i'm not going to get to know about that and that did annoy me like this was the first time where the multimedia high republic project deeply annoyed me it's the kingdom hearts problem it's the kingdom hearts exactly that was exactly what a friend of mine said it was the kingdom hearts problem so but other than that um i loved it i loved how fucking subversive it was just like, you know, the only Star Wars thing, story that's been that subversive for me has been Last Jedi, where, you know, they killed the big bad in the middle of the book, in the middle of the movie. You know, Luke Skywalker wasn't the big hero, the people, you know, all that kind of stuff. This story takes place in a space station, and that's it for the most part. There, you know, no big space battle scenes, no no lightsaber fights, none of that. It was all emotional, all tension, a horror. I did make the comparison earlier to speak to Charles. It's like, I feel like right now, 
it is the morning of 9-11 and I am waiting for something horrible to happen. And then it does like the towers fall, all that kind of stuff. In this book, it was like that scene where Elzar is, I think he's collecting power cells and he sees the top part of the station just break off. I was just cool. completely distraught. Like that was, there was even at, even, but even though, and I'm so, I, at first I was annoyed they promoted the book this way, but now I'm so grateful that they emotionally prepared me for devastation. I was so annoyed when they showed that Starlight Beacon was burning and crashing to the, the planet and they were saying which Jedi would die. Had they not done that and I just read this book, I would have been even more, I don't, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed, I, I'm not sure I would have finished it. Uh, but there was still a part of me that was hoping that somehow, some way, maybe some piece of the start of the of the of the of Starlight Beacon would be saved. And no, no, it's gone. I, I feel that like I I was actually surprised they took out Starlight Beacon so fast. I thought that would be like a wave three thing or a phase three thing because from the beginning, like since Lie of the Jedi, they always use like Titanic synonyms with everything but the word unsinkable. But the way they described it was just like the like the Titanic. I'm like, this thing is going to be going it literally down. Literally breaks so in half. It yeah. literally breaks in half. Oh. Like there's a point I, I I don't like to talk to one of my coworkers that much, <laughs> but I was talking at her just because I had no one else to talk to at points. That was the point where I I kind of put the the book down on my desk and I turned to her and I went, this is literally just Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Titanic. Titanic. This is I, Titanic. That's actually, I, that's actually, I thought Elzar or Awar were going to bite it because they were going to have like the Jack Rose moment. So yeah. So actually, is Jack. Though I'm not surprised of Stellan though, because if you look at, they've crammed him into everything. Like mm-hmm. he's mentioned in every comic. He's an edge of balance. He's in, He was the one with the life day treasury. He's in Oliver Nestor's books. Like, like they crammed Stellan in as much stuff that they could to give him as much time to be here. <laughs> like he's in just about everything so far. I will, uh, I will, so like in, I will. Sorry, oh, I was just going to say in hindsight, so it makes sense because Elzar and Avar haven't been in that much. So mm-hmm. kind of like in hindsight, they were like, we have to get as much Stellan as we can. I also feel like Stellan started at the beginning of his character arc, like, and he needed, he, he started there and he had the arc over the course of Waves 2 and 3. And he ended in a place that made sense. Avar and Elzar were subversions of types of Jedi characters. Mm-hmm. So they had to spend this wave subverting them to the point where they could begin another arc in wave three. Yeah. Since yeah. Avar started out as the Paragon Jedi and reading through the comics and through particularly Mission to Disaster, if you're only reading the books, Mission to Disaster is going to do a great job of catching you up to what's been happening with Avar. She starts off as a Paragon Jedi and she slips from that. Mm-hmm. And then Elzar starts out as a Maverick and that leads him down a dark path to where he has to end this book. So I'm going to give Actually, my... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I'm really proud of Elzar. Like he grew so much. Like watching him grow into the role of a leader. Like I, I really was proud of his journey on this. We will absolutely talk about Elzar. Uh, I want to give my, my overall review real fast. Uh, this is my... A lot of people said this is their least favorite High Republic adult book. Uh, it is my favorite, but it is, like Hope said, a lot down to personal preference. I am mm-hmm. a big fan of Titanic. I am a big fan of the Poseidon adventure. Mm-hmm. I love stories where characters are trapped on a sinking thing and they're trying to get off it. Or in this case, they're trying to save it. So a lot of it for me was, as I was reading this, I was going, this just takes my childhood love of the Titanic and my childhood love of Star Wars and molds them into one book 
And also, some queers are here, which is perfect. I did agree with Chris to a certain extent. I thought that it was weird that they weren't addressing... They only addressed Avar, Maru, and... I think that's it. Mm -hmm. Avar and Maru, and that's it, were the only people that they addressed. Uh, I did think that was weird, but on the other hand, as of recording this, the comics have, have not come out yet. I did kind of appreciate they didn't spoil what happens to Skier. I did kind of appreciate they didn't spoil these things. And on the other hand, I also feel like kind of that's the trade-off you make when you close the story off. Since part of this one is how claustrophobic they are and how cut off they are from everybody, mm-hmm. it makes sense to be claustrophobic, but it's one of those I can't really see a good way they could have done it. But overall, yeah. this was my favorite. The two scenes where it really stuck out to me, um, because I, I noticed that too, they were very careful not to mention comic characters in this. And it was the one where the first thing was Avar standing on the beach and they were watching the top half crash and Avar was like, and then it went down, Maru and everyone else. <laughs> and I was like, who's in the everyone else? Who's in the everyone else? <laughs> yeah, and then at the end when they're fixing like the like the aqueduct at the end on the beach, like Belle and Elzar and Avar are there and, and Elzar is like, there's Avar and Belle and the other Jedi. <laughs> and I was like, who's the other Jedi? Like, who, who yeah, who survives? Who, who lives? Like, I feel like if Keeb was there, Keeb would just be like, Bill, I've had the worst time ever. They they could have mentioned, that was one point that I will give it, they could have mentioned Keeb. We know Keeb Trennis survives. Mm-hmm. We know from Dooku Jedi Lost that Keeb Trennis survives. Mm-hmm. But they could have mentioned very, her. Like, if they were just like, Keeb Trennis was there and she was looking sad, like that would be bad, you know, or mm-hmm. they, that would be a hint of some, some kind. Unless for some reason Keeb doesn't, make it there with them like maybe like she goes off on her own journey or something like we, we don't know wave seeker they also don't mention emirate kafter or cyan holt at all and they're on the station yeah they're on the station when it goes down emirate the trail of shadows number five it, it literally the cover is them running away and starlight beacon is behind them in flames so they're on the station I didn't think about that. where are they <laughs> Where there that is fast uh, becoming my favorite comic. Of I'm the still year. so far behind in Trellis Shadows. I've only read the first one, but oh uh, yeah, they're oh, they're no. there. Where are I they? Know. Where are they? Oh so my the, god, is like bucking them on there too? Fortunately, there's no mention of the Starhopper crew being on there. Ram, Zine, Sai, and are all on Corellia. We know that from Midnight Horizon, but we don't know where Lula is. Lula is the one that has not been mentioned in any Midnight Horizon thing ever. We don't know where Lula is at the moment. Mm. Oh no! The, the 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 suffering is going to continue. Clearly, <laughs> the suffering continues. <laughs> oh, I'm so scared for that child. God. Oh, this no. is an audio medium. Listeners, my head is in my lap right now. Yeah, her her head is <laughs> is physically down in her lap. The screen we can only see the top part of her head <laughs> as she weeps in fear. We have until I think March. March is when all of Wave One ends. You know, Jeez. Daniel. Daniel is the one that I feel like, yes, I'm going to give you like nice baking issues and these great kids and they're all so sweet. And I feel like he has like the red wedding, like waiting in the corner. That, 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 this book, this, this whole phase, at least this part of the story feels like the red wedding done Star Wars style. It is just ruthless. It, it, um, 
you know, I, I'll I'll talk about him, and I'm done. I'll be done talking about him as soon as we're off this topic. But Marquion Rowe, Marcian Rowe, however you want to pronounce his fucking name now, I don't give a fuck. It's um, both. It's both. Either or. The writers pronounce it Marquion. Uh, you know, Hope Hope said this last time we talked about High Republic. I loved him in Light of the Jedi. I started to I started to turn. I didn't fully completely hate him, even though he killed fucking Loden, fucking that uh, that. Mm. But now I now I deeply hate him. Now I was telling you know my co-host Stephanie, they managed to make a character that I think is more evil than Palpatine because he's so chaotic and just such a fucking horrible person. And I, I was I, I honestly part of me was kind of hoping he would die in this book, and you know Lorna D would be like one of the main antagonists. But uh, no. No. I'm nope. actually She's really missing. surprised that he came out at the end, which is like so Republic, I'm Margie Row. Like I was actually really surprised by the epilogue. That just didn't feel I, I don't I I keep having different thoughts about Martian because I, I agree. Like I started off like really loving the character. I love a good villain. I I am a Martian ho. I'm still in my little Martian ho group. And um and like we have a whole side group chat for it. But like the writing felt different in Rising Storm, where he read more like like a petulant teenager yelling at the ghost of his dad. Yeah, and then like he just feels so paranoid in this in this book. Like like his paranoia, like he sends everybody away. Though I will say, I thought this was very interesting that he's using the same propaganda that Lena So is using. Because yeah, I think it was call call Cray the the power that is serving him. He was like, we're gonna witness Martian's great works which Lena calls her stuff great works and she's using the same propaganda or that he's using the same propaganda as her, which I thought was really interesting. But this yeah, was just like, he, he felt so borderline paranoid in this episode, in this. And so I was very surprised that he came out at the end being like, it's me. What has two thumbs and destroyed starlight? This guy. I, I do feel like, because Charles soul is writing the two issue eye of the storm comics. And I mm -hmm. went and read those Especially after Charles Soule did a tweet that said, uh, Eye of the Storm number one takes place immediately prior to the events of the Fallen Star. Eye of the Storm number two takes place immediately after, and it's the final word on phase one of the High Republic. So I feel like it's another one of those things where they gave us just enough of what he's up to to kind of understand what's going on and like he's becoming more paranoid. This is probably going to ultimately lead to his downfall. Mm -hmm. but he's sequestering himself off from the Nile. He's basically remade them completely from the days of Asgard Rowe into completely serving him without question. I mean, the, the, there's no more Tempest Runners. It's just him. There's Tempest Runners, but they're... But they're, they're not they're like the same. Well, what's Lorna D is yeah. right now at the moment? Because um, it sounded like Avar got Lorna, and what if she was on the top part of Starlight? She was on like, the top part of Starlight Beacon. We, I mean, we know this from avar's dialogue where she's like no it's successful we got presumably she's gonna say we got lorna d i mean is she captured or dead presumably captured because marcian at the end was just like i don't know where lorna d is and i'm fine with that i don't give a fuck yeah <laughs> well, fuck her. see if he if it, I, I think marcian Rowe is getting more paranoid as well but there is a big part of me that thinks he's not. He just had planned this out to the point where if he's going to take over the Nihil completely, he's going to get everybody off the, his fucking ship, replace it with a insane droid army, and then just set it all up to where even if, if there were 
uh, higher ups in Night Hill that were going to protest him. What are they going to do? Find the gaze electric? No. Are they going to find the gaze electric, fight through an army of droids, and take out Martian Road? Like, no. No. You're, you're not going to do that. It did remind me a little bit of the Dark Troopers from Mandalorian. So me I, too. Me too. Little, I'm wondering if that was a, a, like a little subtle nod to Mando there a little bit. That's actually way off topic, but sort of on the same. I'm I'm wondering where the Mandalorians are in this in this era. I've, I've been hmm. wondering that well, for a while. Well, there's so now. much. There's so there's so, like like there's not so just much going on, but there's so much going on. But what? Yeah, what are the Mandalorians thinking of all this? What about the Sith? Like the Sith are like, we hate the Jedi. Oh, these fucking pirates are doing way better than we ever did against the Jedi. What the I fuck? I think that's what they're saving the acolyte for. Like I, I feel I like the so. acolyte is going to answer that. Where they've just been kind of like the Sith are like, oh, they're destroying themselves. We'll just eat popcorn and watch. Oh, I, this is great. <laughs> I also feel like they may they may want to leave it sort of free they may want to leave the mandalorians for example free for for dave and john to go back and tell that story such a huge time difference though. yeah, yeah. Or the acolyte the they may want to leave it like with the acolyte in particular they may not want to necessarily be talking about what the sith are up to in this era so that the person who's show running i forget her name but the showrunner of the acolyte is a little more free to not have to reference those events. Before we get to the character deaths, I want to do something lighter and I want to, we address this kind of at the beginning, but I want to talk about the vessel crew. Oh, oh my God. Book. I love them so much. I love them. Oh my God. They this is their book. Yeah. This is, this this is. is their book. Like, like Into the Dark was a nice intro, but like they are really the MVPs in a lot of ways. Oh of, my of, of, Yeah, I mean, of the, I, so if, I now know for a fact, I was never sure if I wanted like a live action or an animated series of High Republic, and if so, what is that going to be? Who is that going to focus on? I now know for sure I want an animated series Vessel Crew yes. show. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. That's, that's all I want in life right now. They, they need some kind of spinoff of, of some kind, like of just them and, ugh, Ugh. I I was hoping to actually to see them um at Midnight Horizon because it was comics book, but I I think it was because I didn't realize how much Orla was gonna be in this as well. And I really like them, just like seeing Elazar's reaction to being like, What is happening with these guys? Who are the hell are you? And they're like, Hey, we're the best one, what's up? <laughs> and I, I what I love I think the most about Leox Giassi, Leox is just as much of a Jedi as everybody else. Like he is just he is a Jedi character with no force in him. And he's more of a Jedi than a lot of people. And I, I just I love I love this. I think we I talked about it last time. Like he's he's my second favorite character after Loden. So I was very scared when he showed up in like chapter three and I was like, I can't lose. I need to stop liking characters with L L's in their I names. Read, I read uh No Stone Unturned, which the StarWars.com official chronological order claims takes place prior to the events of the rising storm Mm. Uh, but i thought it took place prior to the events of fallen star and at the end of no stone unturned loden's like uh, not loden leox is like oh uh yeah we got an easy job hauling to starlight and i'm like no no you don't no no you do not you do not go anywhere near starlight beacon leox it's like it's like the song from monsters incorporated like you just go back there where you came from (laughs) yeah no like geode in this book i feel like because into the dark already did the joke of everybody's talking to the rock no one knows why the rock they're talking to the rock 
is this a like a joke or or what's going on? Oh no, the rock is actually alive. Dude, Geo cold blooded kills the dude. I know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, bite it, Coley. That's what you get. <laughs> every every, every Geode scene broke me uh, in a, in such a wonderful way. Like when Elzar meets Geode, I got so excited. And then that scene where, uh, like the scene after where Geode reflects the blaster fire and what's his fuck and kills him. And the that line where it's like, and Geode stands over him like a tombstone. I was I dying. I lost it. I think it's because they're able to introduce Geode right off the bat as he's a living thing. Yeah. Because they assume if you've read Into the Dark, you already know. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to do that whole storyline again. So Elzar tells us right off the bat, Geode has the force, and then Geode is just treated like a character throughout the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. that uh, The scene where the guy is complaining that Geode is sitting on his wife was <laughs> was my favorite scene in oh, the whole book. I was so scared for the Ardens when I saw it. Me because, too. Because I did, I did like a run, like a High Republic run. So I started with, I should have started with the Starlight Beacon short story, but I didn't get them till later. So I slightly read them out of order. But I started with Light of the Jedi and I went all the way through Mission to Disaster before I even started reading Fallen Star. I just fell in love with uh, Joss and Pika Arden during part one. And they showed up, and I'm like, no, no. I love how in love with each other they are. More healthy relationships in Star Wars, please. Yeah. Seriously. Maybe we'll get that in uh, 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 Midnight Horizon. because Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm hopeful for you. I, I, gotta, I gotta get my expectations down, man. I gotta. <laughs> uh, I also think... And if you missed the last time we talked on Gold Squadron Gaze, I shipped Sign Comax. So the moment it was mm. announced that that was their book and it's a very gay book, like my expectations <laughs> are like, my expectations are going to the moon and back and I'm trying not to. Yeah. Them down, press them down. I, I think uh, she's been getting a lot of love on Twitter, uh, but I also think we need to address Affy Hollow, yes. straight up clocking man. Not once, but twice. I, I stand. Go I fucking on. stand so hard. I, I hate Nan so much. I I was disappointed she didn't get her ass cut up either. I, I have mixed feelings about Nan because I left um out of out of the dark or no 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 out of darkness. Out what of the shadows? It? Out of the shadows, thank you. Second book. I left that book like, you know, I could see her going on a redemption arc. Like she was leaving the Nihil. She was uh, you know, doing something for herself. And I was like, I could see this character being redeemed. And I actually found it interesting watching her backslide. And it still left me in a place where I think she has a very interesting journey ahead of her. Because she was like, I'm gonna go back to Marshall Row. And then she saw these three fanatics and she was like, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> and so I think she still has a very interesting journey ahead of her of like, if she goes back to Marshall, his ship is full of robots now. What does that mean? Like, I think she's gonna be still a really interesting character to watch. Yeah, it's like she was on the way to have a classic Star Wars redemption arc, and then she just completely like relapsed almost. Like it's like it. It's, which is a different, which is another ev more evidence of how subversive this book is. Like she, you know, it's like somebody relapsing after addiction. She's addicted to right. the she's addicted I was to the night hill. Point. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I really love about the overall wave, and uh, not to spoil a future bonus episode of Gold Squadron Gaze, <gasps> uh, 
but we may be doing an entire phase one retrospective once everything is out and people have had a chance to read it. But one thing I've really liked about phase one is that there's been a lot of deep exploration of the relationship between adult figures and teenagers and kids that they are in a mentorship role for. Yeah. And we see both examples of people like uh, Nibisik and Buryaga. R.I.P. Uh, oh, my God. You did not deserve that. You did not deserve that, honey. Uh, you, you deserve to go out way better than that. Though I did like, I like, I did like seeing Bell in that role, though being able to help Burry because he had been in that position. It showed right. a lot of growth in Bell. This so. is also like Bell's book. Like Bell, this culmination of so I, much. For I was him. like, Ember, I'm gonna build a bomb. I was like, my chaos child. Why? <laughs> Ember's like, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Ember, Ember's gonna aim with Bell no matter what. But like, <laughs> fucking Bell. How am Bell is my hero at this point. Bell, I think it's so important that one, Bell saves Indira Stokes. Yes. That Indira Please Stokes God. does not die. He successfully saved his master the way he could not at the end of the other two books. And he and, was uh, able to take his grief and show compassion to another Padawan who lost. Yeah. Him. However, the joke is do not be friends with Bell. Do not mentor Bell if you want to survive. <laughs> stay, stay away from Bell Zedifar if you want to live. Do you guys think Burry is alive or dead? Uh, I'm torn. I I am praying to God. Barry Barry is one of my favorite characters. When he got taken away by the Rathars, uh, that was the that was a that was another moment where I put the audiobook down and cried for 15 minutes. Um, I don't know. I'm praying. I hope he's alive, but I really don't. I want him to be, but I fear that he's not. No. I, the only thing that makes me question it is the way Bell acts at the end, which is very different because that that's a very, what is Bell going to do? Just like go scuba diving until we find Bur- Burry's body? Like, you know, um, but the way it, I, I was, I was ready to let Burry go, which I was actually very surprised with because I thought Burry would save because he's the cash cow Wookiee of the kids book. Right? I was really surprised by that. Um, but at the same time, like the way Bell was acting at the end where he's like, I'm not going to give up. That's either setting up a very disastrous, obsessive character arc for Bell of like obsessively searching for Burry or Burry's actually somehow alive and we just don't know how and he made it off and we're going to find him. I think the important thing is that at the end of Light of the Jedi, Bell is sort of told, "You do- Loden's dead. Don't go look to. for him. Yeah. He's dead. And he's like, okay. And continues on and at the end of fallen star bell is told burry is dead and bell is like how about you fuck off yeah i'm like yes but what i what i, I was what i was saying it because we're kind of transitioning over into my next note organically and i i want to say real fast before we move fully into this that one thing i really like about phase one is the exploration between older adult figures in kids and teenagers lives and we see both good examples of this with like Nibisik and Buryaga, Bell and Loden, the Leox Starhopper Padawans, yeah, Leox and Affy, versus people like Crix and Marcian Rowe, mm. who are in this book, Nan and Chancey Yarrow. That bitch. <laughs> that bitch. That I was bitch. actually really surprised they killed Chancey. <laughs> I was too. I was, was shocked. So I was shocked. That's good. Good for you, Elzar. Good for you. Good so. Her death was so, like, I'm mad at Elzar for doing it, and we'll get into why later, but 
her sitting there being like, I am going to be the savior. She's so narcissistic. I'm going to be the savior of the Republic. I'm going to save Starlight Beacon and all of my life, most importantly. But, you know, since I'm saving everyone else, too, I wonder if they're in Elzar's like, oh, bitch, you thought? <laughs> I, I screamed. I was like, no. I, was, I screamed. I was like, Elzar, of everybody, you should have went for Nan first. Oh, God. And like the moment he did that, I was like, everyone's fucked <laughs> yeah everyone's, everyone's fucked, fucked. Oh, you just no. you just signed the everyone's death warrant in that moment yeah well i mean we can skip ahead and we could talk about elzar man's character arc during this because wow wow i'm a uh, full-on like elzar man i love this character now mm-hmm. i always I've liked i liked I mean, elzar I, I, before but yeah. it, this made me love him. Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with Elzar, especially in Rising Storm, when he decided to hook up with somebody instead of fucking doing his shit. But <laughs> yeah, he was um, like, oh, "Ava doesn't want me. Well, this dick's not gonna wet itself." <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm a Jedi, but I'm not that flexible. So. Preach, oh. amen to that. Oh my god, I, I... <laughs> Elzar man, ethical slut. Ethical? Well, ethical. I don't know about that, but he's definitely a slut, and I'm here for I... it. But, I have a I have a joke with my best friend of just Obi Wan just being like you're a slut Anakin, <laughs> and now I just imagine that Stellan just being like you're a slut Elzar. Oh you're my! Dangerous. I'm sorry. When it when it comes to Elzar man, I think he's falling to the dark side. I I I just think that there's way too much that's staying his soul at this point. I and that's be, I I know we've been I've been making a lot of Anakin Elzar comparisons all throughout. I did not see. I thought by the beginning of act three in this book that he was going to be redeemed that he's going to be the coolest jedi ever after he murdered chanciago um or whatever um chanciaro chanciaro uh i was like no there's no fucking way at this point because even though avar is trying to make him feel better at the very end of the book and we're the constellation yada yada he's gonna be thinking hard about all the other people that were lost that he caused and there's no coming back from that. I have the I'm, opposite take. I was about to say, me too. I, I have feel the exact like, opposite take. I, I feel like because Stellan died, like Stellan's going to be his example. And also kudos to Stellan for outpranking Elzar at the end, just being like, oh, you sent me this droid, but now you're stuck with him. And like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I died, so. <laughs> that droid's going to be, Elzar's going to be like, this is Stellan's last gift for me. I'm going to protect this droid no matter what. Stellan um, knew what he was doing. Yeah, I feel like Stellan is is like Stellan's death is what's going to keep him because I feel like Elzar is going to step up into Stellan's role and be that that character and become the new pole star. I, I still feel like Avar's the one that's going to fall to the dark side before Elzar because I feel like Elzar has been there and Orla taught him how to come back and like how to touch the dark side and come back. And I feel like he has all the tools to keep himself from the, the dark side. But I feel like Avar, because she was like, the Jedi doesn't have those tools and she's just going to keep slipping. Have you read the plot summary, the publisher summary for issue number 15 of the Star Wars High Republic comics? No. Because it literally opens with the line from hero, from hero of Hetzel to murderer. Oh, yeah, yes, I have read that one. And I'm like, uh-oh. I think the difference between Elzar and Anakin is that every action that Anakin takes in Revenge of the Sith is deliberate. There is no action that he takes in that besides chopping off Mace Windu's hand and letting Palpatine kill him. That is not a deliberate choice 
that Anakin makes. And they're all thought through and he has the chance to not do them. And he does them anyway. Elzar has spent the last three books rejecting, trying to reject the selflessness part of being a Jedi. He is trying to maintain his sense of self and do what he wants without giving that up. And he tried to do it in Light of the Jedi and it worked out really well for him. But when it got to Rising Storm, he started slipping and his actions in Rising Storm had consequences, but they weren't consequences for Elzar Man, And they weren't consequences for people Elzar Man cares about. And then when we get to Fallen Star and we see that he's actually actively working, which is so cool to see, honestly, that like in the era of, oh, he's gone to the dark side briefly and he's come back and everything's fine now. Elzar Man has to actively put in the work to try to stay on the light. He has to put it, he has to go off and do his thing with Orla Jereni to try to learn. And it's a learning process for him. He gets to Starlight Beacon and he's doing so well. Like he really is taking on qualities of a leader. He takes over for Stellan. When Stellan can't physically can't go on anymore, Elzar steps up and is like, you need to rest. I'm in charge now. And I'm like, see, wow. Like Elzar man from the Iconoclast in book one to basically coordinating the entire escape effort in this one. And then he has a moment of just catastrophic fuck up. And it is just a moment because that's all it takes. All that work, all he did, still in that moment, he makes a mistake. And that mistake has deep consequences, not for Elzar, but for someone Elzar is very obviously in a three-way relationship with. When he talks about at the end, the way he talks about, I am going to commit myself to being a good Jedi, to being the light in the galaxy. He says some line that's like, I'm going to try to be even a fraction of the light that Stellan Geos brought to the galaxy. And I'm like, I'm just going to be a fraction of lying on the floor here, sobbing. I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think if that catastrophic mistake happened prior to him training with Orla, he would have fell. I, I think it's Elzar's journey shows how important that Orla was in this. Because she, and I, I just also have to touch on, like, her death is going to be rippling, I think, in the other properties as well. Because it's going to affect both Skier and Comac. I think we're- Someone has to tell, someone has to tell Vern that Stellan died. Oh, I was someone thinking about that too. To like, Vern's not going to She I held so Skier many does. secrets. And out of the shadow, she's like, I'll just tell Master Stellan later. And now she's never mm. going to tell them these things but like I, I was thinking about Comac in Midnight Horizon like he's already a very damaged person who doesn't handle loss well and I think that actually sets up a really interesting story for him and Reith because like I'm waiting for like Comac to talk to Reith about losing Jorah and I feel like that now we're going to get the opposite where Reith is like you lost your friend like I know what that loss feels like because I lost Jorah and I feel like Reith's going to be the one to help Comac kill and I, I think I hope there's a moment like that in Midnight Horizon I really want to see it I hope Skier dies before he finds out that Orla died. Oh God! Oh God! I had a moment of what if Skier's on the top half, Orla's on the second half, and they don't know that the other one's there, and they both go. I think. Well, they they can be. They're with the Force now, right? Um, I they can can bone in all the fan fiction. Exactly. (laughs) I I, uh, them boning. It was great. I, I, I want you all to be right about Elzar Man, but I, I just don't think so. I think for him, the trigger is now officially the Nihil. 
I think the Nihil and Marshan Rowe will always have his number, no matter what. I I want to read. Uh, do you do you mind some brief like mainline run comic spoilers? Do it. I mean, I, I'm 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 reading this comics right now, some, but I don't some mind spoilers. Sort of upper, well, no, the main main ones, oh, okay. the main ones that Charles Soule is writing right now. Some sort of apparition or echo of Elzar Man shows up in those, and he seems to still be a Jedi. Mm. So I've seen that floating ground Twitter. Like, was that in an? Is that a preview? That's for the a preview. Comic? That's upcoming. Okay, I was so wondering because I, I was looking. I was like, "Where's oh, this comic?" Oh, is that the comics with Luke in it? Or yeah, yeah. Luke oh, okay. Like some sort of echo of Elzar Man, which I didn't know I wanted, but I want. I want like Force Echo Elzar Man training Luke Skywalker. Oh, that's not what I, I... I thought you were going to say I want an Elzer Man Luke Skywalker sandwich. And I'm like, oh, I can... This you know, is... Uh, yeah. That... You know what? You know what? I could see that because Luke is a bottom. Luke is a twink. Luke is a, Luke is a bottom. And, Luke is and, a twink forever and always. He's my twink. Yeah, I could, I could go for that. All right, there you go. I do want to touch briefly on... The, the the various character deaths we've sort of mentioned we've mentioned <sighs> Nibisi, we've mentioned uh, Oila Jureni uh, and here's what I love about Oila Jureni's death I have that, no liquor for this conversation I know I, I I'm trying it's to hold it together right now 30 on a Sunday I have no liquor it, it, it I just have coffee it was devastating but then I went and thought about it and I went Orla Jereni's whole thing that sort of she's been she's called out for on this book is that her separation from the Jedi wasn't necessarily a strength that it did it had its own weaknesses mm-hmm. and one of them is she's prone to go off and do things alone cuz that's how she likes to operate she doesn't have support from other people and she dies alone. Wow, I actually saw that more of a, of a badass thing where everybody is like, we should just like seal off those areas. And she's like, I'm going to go in head first and figure out what the fuck this thing is. And I'm going to walk in there and find it. And Two things like, can be true simultaneously. It can yeah, be badass, I, 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 but it I, also can be hoisted by her own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her, loner, her loner mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know her past was Stellan because Stellan was like, Elzar, I'll tell you the story later. We never got the story. And me I too. I was like, did they bone? I need to know. I did love. I did love that she was force ghosting Elzar at the end and go and saying shit like, "How about you do something like good for Productive. once?" Like, yeah, yeah. Stop, I was like, yes. stop being a fuck up and go do something. Yeah. So like, my my best friend and co writer has actually said to me before because I've been friends with the man for a decade now, and he has said before that oftentimes he will not need to ask my advice on something because he can just. When he has the problem, he can hear my voice in his head telling him what I would say. And he has told me some of the times that, quote unquote, my voice in his head has given him like a perspective. And I'm like, yeah, that is literally exactly what I would say. Like, what is this with Stellan and Orla where he knows her so well that he can hear her perfectly saying Orla or things? in his head what is this backstory here yeah like i like i want to because even even though stone absolutely disagrees with her lifestyle like he totally respects her as a person like there's there's something more there and i just i just have i I was i was joking with a friend of mine i was like they totally bone and orla was like yeah but you're not lizardy enough for me too much i mean i gotta go (laughs) yeah too much i don't know orla seems to be more into the the scaly lizard man Mm. Yeah. 
Star Wars. Star Wars. I'm still never going to be over the fact that, like, as, like, as a professional, like, supporter of monster fuckers, like, I'm all here for that, man. Uh, Yeah, generally Star Wars has ruined my sexual spectrum, so here we are. Right? (laughs) So between, uh, between Geode, Skier, and Black Kersantan, uh, Star Wars is doing its best to turn me into a monster fucker. Yeah. Hey, uh, monster fucking. The monster fuckers have a very deeply seated LGBTQIA plus like mm-hmm. fan base because of the fact that they are the others. Like it is a very, very deeply seated to queer culture, and I can't say anything because my weekend project has been writing Load and Great Storm Smut, and I'm eleven pages into Load and Great Storm Smut at the moment. So who is Load and Great Storm hooking up with? A who isn't pan- a cute little Pantoran girl that she picked up at a bar. Oh, good for you, Loden. I know, I know. It is going to tie into my fanfic, even though the the one shot's going to be a separate thing. But like, she is going to come back, and there's repercussions, and they're going to have a very nice night of sex together. Some of the some of the deaths absolutely like a hell of a segue. They're going to fuck anyway. People died. (laughs) That's uh like like Orla. I kind of saw coming i didn't want to believe it because she was one of my favorite if not my favorite character from the high republic era but some of them like nibisik and buryaga just absolutely destroyed me because i did not see those coming at all i was surprised at regald actually but i also think that's also a strength that claudia is writing because regald from the get-go was just like this strong very funny character like he was quickly established but the moment he was like i can't wait to get back to my kids i was like oh you're a goner fuck <laughs> it's a that's it yeah character. i i had him pegged for death like very early because he was the biggest denier it's like oh no, the way we feel the reason why we feel the way we feel right now it's not a big deal we're just tired blah blah, blah. i'm like you're gonna die first bitch Oh yeah, I felt so. I loved him so fast, though. Like he had mm-hmm. just some of the best ones. I love his one, like his uh, thing of like, you don't know real fear until you're with a three year old who can use magic with their brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love you. I love you so much. The uh, the only the only death that I felt like was completely one hundred percent justified, although it should not have happened. And the way that it happened was Chancey Yarrow getting bisected. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I, I totally, absolutely was fist pumping when, when Geo Stone Cold killed Coley. That is true. Pun that intended. is true. Coley did he, deserve to die. Yeah, but Coley shot first. That is true. <laughs> I actually Geo- thought Leox was going to take him out, to be honest, because Leox had that line when he was like, well, if Coley's going to start something, if someone needs to stop it, I'm going to be the one to do it. So I actually thought like Leox was going to kill him. Well, so. and here's the thing, too. Geo has been established as a character to be much pun intended, harder than Leox is. And you Mm -hmm. made the excellent point in our first High Republic episode, Hope, that when Leox pulls out a blaster and intends to take life, it is a very serious thing for him. It's it's almost like a, I don't want to say a religious experience, but it's like he does it with such reverence of just like this is a thing i respect this this weapon in my hand mm-hmm. and so Ge- so geode stepping in to be the one to do it and did you notice stepping in geode stepping in <laughs> the point was just brought up which is 100 correct you said earlier hope that i believe it was you hope that said that leox is almost like a jedi mm-hmm. geode mm-hmm. does not attack he acts in defense <laughs> I still love that scene. I, I I literally pictured like a like uh, a tumbleweed moving through the area 
before uh, Geo gets shot. And part of me was like, man, if Geo fucking dies because of a stupid ass blaster fire, but then they did that thing where it's like, oh, he, Geo can be magnetized at any time too. And I was like, oh my God. So I love that whole part. I love that whole scene so much. And then um, the earlier one when the blaster boat was bouncing around and he just like throws his body out there to save everybody else's lives. Like, oh, God, it was so badass. Like, yeah, I know. Oh. But that's the thing. That dude endangered a whole lot of people before he even got shot. So he was just as dangerous as the levelers running around. Yeah. That's so a, that's a theme of the book that a lot of what puts people in danger is both a lack of communication. And then you have people who are outwardly just they're they're selfish. That yeah. selfishness is what damns. Cole, that's Coley's whole thing is I want to get off the station. Y'all can get fucked. I want to get off the station. Right from the very beginning, he's bitching at Selen because I want to leave. I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people that are helpful are the people that are acting selflessly. And when Elzar Man has his moment of chopping Chance Yarrow in half, it's a very selfish moment. He's pissed off. He sees what he thinks is a Nile sabotaging the station. And in a moment of self-gratification, does what Sylvester Yarrow probably wanted to do. I, I wanted to say something about um, Selen earlier when we were talking about Elzar, about how Elzar was finding out how to go from being himself into being a Jedi. I liked how it was the foil to Stellan where he had never been himself until his final moment. And he discovered who he himself was outside of the Jedi. And I thought that was a very beautiful ending. I, I, I sobbed through Stellan's death. Like I was, I was a wreck. I'm so glad I didn't listen to it on audiobook because I would have not have been okay. But that moment where he was like, I know who I am now outside of the Jedi and what that means. It makes me even sadder because I would have loved to have seen that that journey of who he would have became and discovered. And I'm wondering if he would have been a little bit more like Elzar and a little bit more I, I just I loved that that journey because we we saw Stellan when Stellan was following the path that the Jedi gave to him, how much it was harming him. There's that mm-hmm. scene in Out of the Shadows where Vanestra comes to his office and she's like you lost weight. Have you been sleeping? Are you okay? Because the toll of being a council member and a Jedi was actively harming Stellan. And he was like, I'm fine. This is my Jedi duty. Um, but to have that moment where he was just like, I am not a Jedi right now. I am Stellan Geos. This is who I am. This is my choice. And he went out that way. Oh, I'm getting emotional a little bit. Someone he, else talk. He keeps making sacrifices for the Republic and for the Jedi. And he's trying to be selfless, but he's making these sacrifices for the institutions. He's not making them for people. He's like, this is my duty to the Jedi. This is my duty to the Republic. His final action is like, this is my duty to the people of the city that this is going to crash down on. And And it's my duty to Elzar. So it's a choice that he makes to be selfless, but it's a choice that he makes to be selfless to individual lives, not to institutions. We talked about that last time we had a conversation where the prequel Jedi were, the difference was they put duty over humanity while these Jedi in the High Republic put humanity over duty. But I feel like Stone was very much like the prequel Jedi. He was constantly putting his duty first and first and first. And he finally put his own humanity first. And he went out with his humanity in saving people he loved. We wouldn't be sad if we didn't love these characters. That just shows how good it's written, that it is absolutely devastating us because we love these people so much. I mean, part of the thing that I we were talking about beforehand is 
I'm a little bummed at the time jump that we're about to go into phase two because yeah. I love these characters so much. The fact that we're not going to be coming back to them may, I don't know when, we don't know phase three. Does I this have, phase three? I have a theory about that. I have a theory have a too theory that they're doing that, that the, the phase one is the original trilogy, phase two is the That's uh, my exact trilogy. Theory. And then phase three is going to be the, like the sequel trilogy where we pick back up, but we don't know that for sure. We might not ever see these characters ever again. And I'm, I'm kind of sad by that because I don't want to leave them because I yeah. love them so much. Like the fact that we're not going to be touching them for so long yeah. makes me kind of sad because it's the power of what these five writers have done. They've, they've made us love these characters and these stories. One thing that resonates with me about the deaths in Fallen Star is that there's not a single real time where the Fallen Star kills characters off for no reason. That it's always yes. done with a deliberate purpose. And one thing that I really appreciated about the book was that the civilians that are trapped on the station get off because it would have been so easy to keep them trapped on the station and kill them off for shock value and have it be an individualistic thing. And that's not the direction the story goes, that they get the people off the station that they need to get off the station. The people who die in the book, every one of them serves a purpose of trying to help. Where like Stellan, it, it felt like the culmination of his character arc. It's not like, it's the first four seasons of Game of Thrones versus the last two. In the last two, particularly season two, episode, or season seven, episode two, or season eight, episode two, whatever the last season was. The Long Night, where they just kill off a bunch of side characters for no reason. Because they're like, uh we're on the last season and characters need to die and that was such bullshit the high republic fallen star doesn't do that it would be easy for for shock value to like kill off leox Giassi or kill off somebody like nibiseek right mm -hmm. nibiseek it would have been super easy to just kill her off and have it be a shock and it's not it's there to give bell a moment to help bury work through his grief excuse me, so Burry can make his own heroic sacrifice later. And I have just teared up slightly while thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So that's something that the book does with character deaths that I love because it's like, why would you invest in a story when it's going to cause you pain? Because endings cause pain and cause you to reflect on the fullness of the lives that these characters have led that we have gotten to be witness to. I think that's, that's the difference between this and Rising Storm for me because Rising Storm felt like that, even though we didn't know any of the, of most of the people dying, it just still felt like it was relentless and happening and didn't feel purposeful with, with and it didn't have as many like little victories as well. Mm -hmm. um, just like the, every time, like they made like a little advance in Fallen Star, you know, something bad would happen, but then they would still make a little bit like more, like the moment where Belle, makes this bomb and like blows away the medical tower and is able to save those people that feels so huge and like such a relief and we didn't have that in rising storm as much and i think that's why i struggled with that book more so a quick quick observation with the the bomb scene in the audiobook they had specific a specific like th theme song when a leveler would be in the scene and it would, it would be very tense like like a set was of it, sound effects and violin. Kara, kara, they're coming to take you away. No, it, 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 no, it was just like a sound effect of like tension building, like violins and such, you know. So when Bell was setting up the bomb, they played that same song. So my and I, 
and the I was the leveler was coming. I was flipping out like, oh my god, what if the leveler is snuck on to the medical bay and it's just like and is waiting and Bell is gonna die. And so that I, I I talked to people about that particular scene when they're reading the book, and I'm like, okay, so I was having a whole different thing in that scene because of what they did with the post-production. So I'm very interested where they're going with that because both Bell and Elzar are aware of somewhat aware of the leveler. And then there's that moment where Appy was like, something's walking above us. <laughs> like I was waiting for actually a moment where Leox is going to be like, look, I'll go find the creature for you because it's not affecting me. And I, I just like wanted like Leox to go like leveler hunting. <laughs> That's my biggest disappointment of the book. I want to know more about the leveler. I, what the fuck is it? And uh, apparently Marcia and Rose breeding them now like they're fucking pigs. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah, let's let's address the time jump because this goes part of my theory on okay. the time jump. So phase one and mission to disaster in particular. Uh, Chris, I know you have not read mission to disaster I yet. Haven't read it I don't either think. Yet. So mission to disaster spends a lot of time referencing past events and how they kind of connect to the events that are happening now. And they've set up so much like through the High Republic adventures through Martian's backstory of trying to find the leveler. They've set up all of these events that what they're going to do is they're going to jump back and they're going to prequel style, tell the story of how we got here. And they're going to explain a lot of those things in the context of their own timeline. So that when we jump to phase three, we're going to be reuniting with characters we love from wave one, and we will know all the history from wave two, and it will just go all out. I mean, if that's the plan, then that's very classic. That's ultimately following the template of our Star Wars movies, right? Because we're going to do original trilogy, which that's a hell of original trilogy we have for High Republic. God damn. Prequel trilogy and sequel trilogy. So my question is, are we going to have a I don't like sand Attack of the Clones type story in 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 the High Republic? Because I don't need it. Wears so many clothes because he's like I don't like sand. I I will say I'm very excited about a Porter Ingle story like that. That actually is. Yeah, I, I am too. Yeah, I am too. Some of the characters are going to come back. Yeah, like that's a nice thing about them jumping back is some of them are going to come back. Like Sav, I forget how to pronounce her last name. Magahan. Sav Magahan from the High I, Republic Adventures. Not familiar. Uh, Imbo type looking Jedi. You wouldn't be oh, familiar. Mm, mm. I've seen the picture of that. Yeah. She's got a history with Maz Kanata. And they reference something called the Battle of Jedi when Sav was a Padawan. So maybe we'll see that. Maybe we'll get some more on her. And, well, I'm sorry to be so basic, but I'm, can we have a little bit more Yoda? I mean, I really wouldn't mind Yoda at this point, especially 150s before, 150 years before. He's younger, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn about Yoda on that because on one hand, he is the touchstone character. So we can actually infer a lot of like what's going on now versus the prequels where he's very much a different character. I wouldn't mind seeing Tara Sanube because we know he lives to Clone Wars. So I'm like, oh, I'll, he'll be my favorite because I know he won't die until Order 66. We have time. Um, I'm about to latch on to Porter Angle so hard. Oh my God, yeah. So mm. hard. When they announced it, I had the same reaction. I was like, no, wait, no, no. I need to know what happens. I need to know what happens to, but I feel like we talked about thinking it was a generational story. So my theory is there's going to be another time skip afterwards. So we're going back to tell the prequel story. What is the leveler? What's going on with Martian's people and the Jedi? What, what if that's where we Zola? see the Sith? <gasps> 
Possibly. That like like what if that's they, where we should They make a they make a first go at it and fuck up completely. I would, I would love but, that. But but then, maybe that's where the leveler comes from. Maybe that's where the Nile come from. Is the mm. Sith tried to do something and fucked it up, and Mar and Asgaro came in and was like. Too, too much chaos. So here's my theory is that once we're done with phase two, we're going to do about a 20, 30 year time skip. And we're going to pick up with characters like Avar and Elzar being older. Elzar is going to look like the slightly gray hair that he does in the new Star Wars comic. Avar is going to be wearing her kick-ass battle armor from the rise of Kylo Ren that we see her in. And our Padawans are going to be older now. Mm. So they're going to have Padawans of their own and it's going to be a culmination. They're going to have been living in a post-Nile era and they're going to have to actively fight back against them now. I would be slightly upset about that. I, I'm mostly because I go back to I, I don't want to leave these characters. But um, actually, clarify, uh, when you say a post-Nile era, do you mean like them defeated or still no, fighting? No, it's still fighting. Like a oh, post-Marquion okay, has announced himself to the galaxy. They've been living in this era for 20 years or so. Mm. Uh, and then something happens and they get a chance to do something about it. Yeah, the, yeah. The, just like the Galactic Empire had existed for decades, the Nihil problem is a multi-decade issue, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they're, they're at a standstill because I, I want to bring up the ending because I found it really fascinating. Oh, so, ended, mm, so cool. Well, with the Jedi, where the station has crashed, the Jedi have just lost countless people and their reaction is to perform an act of service to the people mm. of Irium, where they're like, we're going to work together. They're going to do like... Light of the Jedi opened with the Jedi performing this essentially miracle at Hex Hetzel, mm -hmm. where they come in and they throw themselves into this situation. And they're like, we're just going to help as many people as possible. We're going to help. We're going to do the best we can. And over the course of the entire phase, they have slipped from that. Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. Stellan has been under pressure from the Republic. So he's kind of taking, influencing people to kind of go away from directly helping people to focus on the larger thing. Avar has become obsessed with, you know, Lorna D and trying to be the hero. And all of this, the Jedi have gradually been moving more and more away from this, let's just help people. And at the end of this, they've just been through a devastating tragedy. And their thing is, okay, we pick ourselves up, we brush ourselves off, and we go do what we should have always done in the first place, which is just to help people. You know what that just reminded me of? What? The Marta sister arc of Clone Wars. Where, you know, these two girls, because of the Jedi and their conflict with the war and Cad Bane, just lost their parents. And all Luminara does is walk in and say, may the force be with you. And like, just leaves two teenage girls with no resources to help them. And I feel like that's not what, what would have happened here. Um, that they would have stayed and like helped them like find a place to live and like make sure they had resources and like you know yeah I feel like but the jedi do get harder right it's like they get to yeah, the prequel the area so that's the point yeah the nihil are just gonna fucking make them colder oh yeah and i think that's an importance of a if they were to do like a, a 20 year or so time jump that to show that the galaxy has been ravaged for so long the jedi kind of have to start transforming in order to take them on i but would I, say which oh, would oh i was gonna say I, I i just think it's important that we kind of go through the the jedi themselves have a character in phase one 
that they go through this arc and they end where they began, just helping people. And I think that's important and shouldn't be overlooked when we talk about this book. I love the idea that if in the, in the I guess, the High Republic prequels, are we going to call them that now? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, we find out that indeed the Nihil are somehow connected to the Sith or the Sith created the, or whatever, whatever it is. But I like the idea of that being an intentional plan created by the Sith to harden the Jedi to get them to a point. And then Palpatine <gasps> takes advantage and does his hang on, plan. Hang on. I have to Google something real fast. Okay. This is the thing Charles should have researched. What, am I, what, what, what did I do? While, you, while you're Googling, I just want to say I was very bummed that Bell was not dual wielding with Loden's lightsaber in this one because Loden had his lightsaber when he died and they were all there. I'm like, did no one pick it up and give it to Bell? Like, I was so upset. I was like, I wanted to be dual wielding with Loden's saber. But then I was so, like, oh, what if, what if he put Loden's kyber crystal in the kyber arch though on the temple? That would have been so sweet. Well, that hurt me yeah you play while i was trying to google something well you're welcome well at least burry didn't die in order 66 like we said last time yeah uh, no he got died by he, he could be chewed up by a rathar that's much better thanks i hate it <laughs> or 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 he survived the rathars and got spaced well that's, <laughs> that's too God. i'm this... laughing i'm laughing to keep myself from sobbing i know <laughs> here's the I... thing here's the thing this just highlights the unnecessary tragedy of Order 66 because the characters who die in Wave 3, particularly the Jedi characters, die so that other people can live. And when the clones mow the Jedi down in Order 66, it's just a pointless act of petty violence. That's that, it. That, that Palpatine was watching from his bubble bath and eating ice cream. Yeah, like, Palpatine, yes! <laughs> Palpatine's sitting there with his Neapolitan, eating, mixing Neapolitan ice cream together because, of course, he did. Palpatine <laughs> loves the drama. He loves the drama. Do it. I will say this, and we'll return to it when we when we look at the overall uh, wave three, or wave three, the overall phase one leading into phase two. Do you? Do either of you know who Darth Crawl is? Is he the dude that showed up in the comic? He's the dude that showed up in the comic. That Keith was just like having an acid trip over? Yes. What the? Uh, I, no, I'm not familiar. So he's a dude, he's a Sith that uh, showed up in the comic and he was mentioned in Dooku Jedi Lost because Kevin Scott just absolutely loves to like throw things in and then not explain them and then explain them in future works like that Kevin Scott Like the vaccine station? <laughs> that was Charles Soule. Who oh, wrote he that does that too. Kylo Ren. <laughs> No, Darth Kroll was a Sith that was operating around this point, and he has, like, the Force vision with Keeve that I thought was weird, but what if Darth Kroll is a more major player in Phase 2, since we don't know how long ago Darth Kroll was operating? That would be awesome. I Yeah. The only thing that I, I, I'm on the fence about, and please correct me if I'm wrong, don't they say in Light of the Jedi that the Sith have been gone for a thousand years? Yeah, but that's obvious. I mean, that's not true just because yeah, yeah, well, they, we know it's not true, but like, you know, but to the Jedi, like to their knowledge. That is true. Well, um, keep, keep does see a vision crawl. So, yeah. I and Yoda, Yoda knows that there's the, the rule of two as a thing in Phantom Menace. So, the question is, how does Yoda know that Darth Krull is, or that Rule of Two is a thing in Phantom Menace? I have always assumed the notion that the Sith uh, were able to hide for a thousand years was complete bullshit. 
I think that is Jedi propaganda. I think that is Jedi masters telling their students and for generations, oh, the Sith hasn't been around forever, like, I don't know, a thousand years or whatever. But I don't believe that's true, because like, like you said, Yoda knows some, about some shit. We've seen comic books and legends for a long time have Sith showing up in the middle of the supposed thousand years, but they're not around. It's just not... I just think it's a saying that Je the Jedi have. It's not a literal, we haven't seen him in a thousand years. They may have, more likely, they've seen him like maybe once every hundred years or so. I want to yeah. give, before we wrap up, I, I want to give you two, because I haven't listened to the audiobook yet, but I know, Hope, you wanted a little space to talk about the audiobook. And <laughs> I know you love Mark Thompson. I, I know do, you I love do. Mark Thompson to death. Uh, but I want to give you a little space to talk about the audiobook here, specifically for Fallen Stars, since you had some concerns about it really all i just wanted to say was um yes i do love mark thompson i'm a big fan of his thrawn books like eli vanto wouldn't be the little sexy space cowboy he is without mark thompson the only thing that i wish they did was have consistency between all the readers like i was very uh, i i understand that when you have two different people voicing the same characters they're going to sound different that's normal i i was you know like leox in into the dark sounds like 1990s matthew mcconaughey and he's this like vibrant young man and then mark's take on him makes him leox sound like he's like fucking 75 years old but i kind of was expecting that it's two different people voicing him the problem I have with Fallen Stars audiobook is how drastically accents are changing. And this has already started happening with a character like Avar, who in some properties has a British accent, in some properties she has an American accent, but that's still not too terribly crazy and bad. But what got me was Orla, because um, leading up to Fallen Star, I was actually listening to uh, Into the Dark over again as, as as early as last week like I was listening to it last week um mostly because I brought I felt like the Crypt Keeper because the chapter of my fan fiction I was writing before Fallen Star has Orla, Burry, Nib, and Stellan all in the same chapter <laughs> I felt like the Crypt Keeper and it was so bad but like so I was just listening to Into the Dark and Orla has just a very standard basic kind of American accent and then I got to Fallen Star and she has this like very thick Eastern European, almost Russian accent. And it was very jarring to, to have these two different voices for the same character. Cause the AFR one is fine. British and American, yeah, are different, but they're a lot closer, but there's a huge difference between like a Russian accent and an American accent. And it just completely took me out of the story. And I don't know what's happening with the audiobooks where they're not having this overhead, where they're kind of standard accent across the board. Like, who is not like watching this? And it just feels weird to me that this isn't happening. Like, yeah. yeah I mean, only... for. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say real quick, um, I didn't mind the audiobook, but I also don't have a reference to like other books like as much as, but. I will say it was very jarring for me that they decided suddenly to mis to change the pronoun official pronunciation of Martian Row to Markion Row. That's kind of a big oversight. This is this has been a thing. Like it was a thing as far back because the authors pronounce it Markion Row, yeah. and Mark Thompson and the other audiobooks people have been pronouncing it Martian Row. And this was actually addressed all the way when the Wave One books came out. Somebody asked Charles Soule, like, "What is the actual pronunciation?" And he basically said. 
you know, it it really doesn't matter that much. Pronounce it whatever way you want to. Which I feel like it's the same thing with the she she kare kare thing, where there's evidence it's pronounced she kare kare. In Tempest Runner, it's she karai karai. I don't know how it's pronounced in Fallen Star. I will say the only consistent voice that I've heard through is that Dan Bittner, I think, is who does Into the Dark. Yeah. He is doing, he he tries to make his Martian sound like Mark Thompson's. Now, he is no Mark Thompson. I, I liked him in Into the Dark, and I liked him more in Tempest Runner, but he is no Mark Thompson. And even Kayla Lee, when she was doing Out of the Shadows, was kind of trying to do the same Martian Rowe voice, but she got shafted by the end of the Out of the Shadows production quality. Yeah, I, I agree. Consistency between the audiobooks would make it feel like like it was one continuous story as and opposed like to- And like they're not an afterthought. Yeah, they're not an afterthought. Have Vernestra, Thompson do them all. Vernestra is the only other person with a consistent voice, but also Kayla Lee has read every Vernestra-centric book. So that is just a case of Kayla Lee is the voice of Vernestra Rowe. Yeah, I mean, because I, I actually, like, as much as I do love Mark Thompson, pretty much the only character that I really like him voicing is Loden. And I, I really liked his Loden. It, it's a Twi'lek accent. It sounds like Sham uh, Syndulla. It's very much a Twi'lek accent. And, like, he was it's so good. It's a fuck me accent is what it is. Oh, yes, it is. No, but, like, he was very good at matching accents from other Star Wars properties. Like, I don't remember his name, but, like, during the, the Legacy Run disaster, there was one character who sounded like Kit Fisto. And I was like, I bet this guy's a Nymordian. And and sure enough, um, no, he's, Kit Fisto's not a Nymordian. Um, what the fuck is he? He's the, the hot fish man. Nalutian? Nautilin, Nautilin. Nautilin, yeah. Um, and sure enough, the captain was a Nautilin because Mark was using a Kit Fisto accent. So that really helped me as a listener because I already have difficulty processing audio. I usually, I prefer, I'm a visual reader a visual person so i usually only listen to audiobooks if i'm like i'm driving or i'm cleaning where i can't sit and read the book and so like that really helped me be like okay this character is a nautilus because he sounds like kip Fisto. and Woden is clearly a twilight because he sounds like shams and gula so then like when i got to um orla who had I had already listened to an uh, entire audiobook of her sounding a very certain way the of her just being like we're not, uh, we're not fancy people, Mr. Giassi. We don't need to be pampering. For her to be like, Elsa, you need to not fight the waves. Like it was so jarring that I could not listen to her chapters because I... it was so, and it was like a step away from Mark's Arlani. And that's the thing, because I, I really like Mark in the Thrawn books, but his Arlani has this really thick, like almost Frau Farbesna Austin Powers accent. <laughs> and it's, it just, I, I wish they would have more consistency because it makes it feel like the, the audiobooks are an afterthought for this much inconsistency between not only characters' accents, but names and that should have been something addressed in the beginning or, or they just need to have one person overseeing all the audiobooks going forward to make sure, like where's their Pablo Hidalgo of the audiobooks that are making sure these are all consistent? Because I, I have a be. fix it theory for you that, that may be able to help reconcile why Orla sounds so different. Uh, shot, uh, Skier shot I, her so hard with his dick when she was <laughs> off and ruined her voice. Wow, that just wow, that makes me want to fuck Skier even more. Um, that's uh, that's canon. That's hey, canon. I, 
I so, have written Skier or Lestini stuff, so. I haven't gotten to it yet. I, I had to pause reading Fire and Thread to do my run, and I'm going back to it this week. <laughs> uh, here, so here's my theory. So this this may help reconcile it. It may not, but it's just my brain trying to Pablo Hidalgo this shit together. Uh, so Orla in Into the Dark is leaving the Jedi Order to be a way seeker. She's just starting to be a way seeker, right? She doesn't even have her own ship yet. So she has, she spent so much time on Coruscant with the Jedi that she's developed a Coruscanti accent, a very strong Coruscanti accent. In Fallen Star, she's been away from the Jedi for over a year. Fallen Star might be her natural accent. And because she spent so much time away from the Jedi on the frontier, She's reverted back to her natural accent, the same as Hera does in Star Wars Rebels, where she speaks with a very galactic basic accent because she's trained herself to do that. And then when she's with Cham, she lets herself go. It doesn't excuse the fact that they sound radically different, but it may be just a way of my brain went, hmm, this might actually explain it if she was deliberately using a Corazonte accent or close to one and into the dark and she let her natural accent come through and fall and start. I don't no, know. No, I still hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was that, that was my first time. I heard that character in audiobook form, I think. So, um, you know, I didn't have an... I, I, I loved her, but I didn't have an impression. If they take away Air, uh Comac sounding like damn Aragorn from Fellowship of the Rings, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> Depends on who's reading uh, Midnight I Horizon. I hope because Kayla, Kayla Lee doesn't really do it in Out of the Shadows. Comac's pretty flat in Out of the Shadows. That was yeah. one thing that I didn't like about the audiobook for that. I feel like it will probably. I, I, I'm wanting Dan to come back, Dan Brittner to come back because um, it is a Wreath Comac book, and he read the last Wreath Comac book. And there's so many like male characters and non-binary characters, and Sai does seem to be masculine presenting. So like between like Wreath, Ram, Comac, and then Sai being the non-binary person there, I feel like that would be a better fit for Dan versus a woman voicing all of them. So before we wrap it up, because we have now talked way the fuck longer hope was just telling me in a cut segment that when i sent a message it was like oh yeah we could do a little 45 minute episode that she actively laughed at me (laughs) i want to know i want to know what you guys's final thoughts are on just the fallen star in general after this conversation and after sort of thinking about it hope why don't you go ahead and and go first uh just some final thoughts on just the fallen star i i really did enjoy it um as much as it hurt me i i think it's a good finale you know like if nothing else came after this which i guess that's kind of the weird thing because we still have to like finish two comic runs and a whole nother book it almost makes me wish like this was the final thing like the comics were done midnight Midnight horizon was done all that because this does feel like a finale so everything else just kind of feels like I don't want to say like dangling ends, but like at the same time, um, it it feels like a really good finale. If people are only reading the adult books, this feels like a really good, solid finale until we get phase two in October. <laughs> That's so crazy to like, on one hand, it feels like we've always had the High Republic and because it feels like it's been going on longer than a year. <laughs> like it feels like we've always had it. And to now, now know like in two months we're not gonna have it till October again that's so strange and I guess the only other thing I should say is that hopefully that our love for this keeps pushing through and we'll keep also raising our voices to have a better 
company to tackle the video game because that was very heartbreaking watching the one year anniversary and seeing Eclipse mixed in with everything else, knowing that it's still in the hands of Quantic Dream. And uh, I hope that gets fixed in the time to where somebody else picks up the higher public because we love it. We Everyone, talk please this check long. out the Blackout Star Wars Eclipse movement. Uh, there's io9 articles on it. There's other articles. Please go and read that. Uh, that is know what I was referencing. That nobody has talked about. I made the hashtag. You have. I know you were there. I, I saw. Show. No, I. I, I think I it was Jedi guys and Jedi. No, it was a pink milk. Oh, 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 yeah. I, I was in the stream and I made it up and no one has said anything. I'm, yes. proud, I, I'm proud of my friends and everything, but I made the hashtag. Hope, let's, let's give Hope some credit. Um, wait, yes, wait, definitely, uh, definitely check out Blackout Eclipse. Uh, we're not going to talk about it too much now because we're wrapping up, but when we do our phase one overview, I expect we will probably cover yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's going to need to be a topic, but I'm not too worried about the game being made at this point. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've heard some, I've heard some things. Chris, do you want to give us some final thoughts on the Fallen Star? I think it is going to be no, one of the more infamous uh, books in the entire uh, Star Wars book history. I think it, it's a it's a flashpoint on what you like. It embraces the the Star Wars idea that you can meld together so many different genres. Like we said before, in this case, the disaster story, the Titanic, and a sci-fi space opera. And I and I think it's so great. It's so wonderful. And I love how rebellious and subversive it is. But people are either going to love it a lot or hate it. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people in the middle with this book. And I, I like that too. I want more. And I've never felt happier and uh, so proud of being a Star Wars fan. I love this yeah. shit. Yeah, I, I concur with that. Like, I've never... 100%. I, I've always been a prequel kid. Um, that's because um, Clone Wars was my entryway into the fandom. Clone Wars was the first because I always liked Star Wars, but Clone Wars was the first time I loved Star Wars. And that's where, you know, anybody who knows me knows I love animation. So like animation is like my bread and butter of Star Wars. Like live action, like we're doing the Mandalorian right now in in J Guys, and it's fine, but it's not animation. And the higher public is the first thing that to match my love of animated Star Wars. Like it, it gives me the same, it still jimmies my jams the exact same way I feel when I watch animated Star Wars and no other property in this franchise has ever done that for me. Mm -hmm. So my, my final thoughts on the Fallen Star specifically, I have mentioned repeatedly, I am a big fan of Broadway musicals. I'm a huge fan of Broadway musicals. I have written a musical that got put on. Uh, I have worked well, on- Well, congrats. Thank you. I will. I will tell the full story sometime. It was when I was in high school. It was a it was a wild thing, but the point is, I'm a big fan of musicals. I'm very familiar with how you write a musical, and I'm very familiar with their structure. The Fallen Star for me, knowing that there's going to be a time jump back to tell a prequel, and then we may jump forward to finish the story, felt to me like a solid Act One finale of a show, of a two act show. Uh, it's your defying gravity. It's your all I ask of you. It's your a little priest uh, slash epiphany. It's one of those moments where we've brought the act one to an end, to an explosive end that fails satisfying. But at the same time, I am excited to see where the story goes in wave two and wave three and beyond. 
Also, I'm now thinking about uh, Elzar Man singing Defying Gravity, and that made me laugh. <laughs> I, I am looking forward to some brevity. Like, actually, like the one thing I'm looking forward to is the Bake Off issue. And I, I would like to see a little bit more brevity in this. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like the High Republic Adventures comic so much is because it still has high stakes, but there's still like much more breathing room and stuff like that. Um, so I I hope that we get like kind of more stories. I I wouldn't mind to see the end of phase two being up to the point where we're seeing like like Stellan and Loden and Elzar and Avar as like Padawans and their kids. And like, you know, I, I want to see like their like coming of age stories. So I don't have to keep writing it myself. And my final, final note is I'm going to put Bradley on blast here because of course I am. Uh, even he has said to me that he thinks the High Republic should get an animated show. Even Bradley hey, thinks this. I've never talked to Bradley and he's not my favorite. <laughs> I will not tell him you said that. And where, there's just like a silence of you editing out be like <laughs> censored content here. Where, <laughs> where is my High Republic animated show on the Vessel Crew? Give me that. I, I want it. Give it to me now. Give it to me yeah, now. I, I want it. All right. Well, Hope and Chris, thank you for coming out for this emergency recording. Oh my God. Thank you. Good therapy. Do therapy. Some therapy about the fallen star. Hope, do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me a few uh, places. I uh, write for the Geeky Waffle and I'm occasionally on their Star Wars show, Space Waffles, hosted by my good friend Arzu Amin. Um, I also have my own Star Wars podcast called J Guys and Jedi. We've already done all of Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance. We actually just, last week was our six-year anniversary and our 300th episode. So we've been doing it for a while. Um, and so wait, it, take, it, it takes six years to go through Clone Wars, Rebels, and, okay, that's good to know, because I've been wondering how that's going to work. If you're covering it once a week, um, it took us, the first, like, like 60% was was Clone Wars, all the seasons. It took us two years to do Rebels and one year to, to do Resistance. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, um, but I, I do want to say, Charles, thank you for all the lovely questions you sent us for Ask Me Anything. And so I hope you really enjoyed that. that I did. Uh, that I episode. did. Uh, I've been a little, little distracted this week. Uh, so I haven't posted about it on Twitter. But I, I did submit several questions for the Ask Us Anything for Jagas and Jedi's 300th episode. I, I got to say, I was a fan of Chris Hope's co-host before listening to that episode. Uh, but I unironically stand the man after listening. <laughs> he's one of my favorite people. Like um, so, we've, we've known each other for over 10 years and he's go, like one of my dearest friends. Everyone go listen to the 300th episode of Jedi Guys and Jedi. You will hear some of my questions, uh, which Hope and Chris, not that one, provided uh, really, really thoughtful answers to about their podcast journey. Chris, the one that's here, do you want to tell us where we can find you and also plug your exciting new show? Oh, yeah. Ooh, uh, yeah, so show. I'm Chris. I'm the gay guy on uh, Dark Side Divas, which has been our Star Wars podcast where we're doing what Hope has apparently started years ago. So that's wonderful. Um, but uh, I, 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 need to, I need to get caught up on so much shit now. Um, Good luck. So it takes I know, a while. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm the co-host of Dark Side Divas, a Star Wars podcast. 
Uh, we also have a YouTube show, Divas Unleashed, where because we were starting to get so many questions from our listeners that we couldn't fit them in with our two-hour Clone Wars episodes. And then uh, we are just starting a new podcast for the MCU. We're doing what we did. We're doing the Star Wars to Marvel, and we're calling up Marvelous Divas. And our first episode drops this week. This week, as of recording this, which I'm a, I'm going to do my best to get this episode out in a timely manner, but it is uh, a bonus episode and just me recording. So our first episode, right? So our first episode dropped a month ago. By the time this episode comes out, <laughs> congratulations! Though that it's always exciting to do new adventures. Like yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Steph is not because she does all the editing. So <laughs> that's why I'm very behind on Hope Makes Chris watch cartoons. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I just show up. It's going to take this up. episode a month to come out because I'm going to do the editing for it. <laughs> Definitely, everyone. Uh, please go <gasps> check out Jag Eyes and Jedi, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, Dark Side Divas, and Marvelous Divas, as well as Divas Unleashed. Uh, and if you, you can want to also read happy stuff. You can watch Fire and read Fire and Thread. You can one hundred percent read Fire and Thread, or click on the Chaos Lydia name to see both Fire and Thread and the Psy and Comac. And my Loden Smudge should be up and by the now. <laughs> Uh, you can also find me specifically if you want to scream at me specifically at the High Republic at CWRogers6 on Twitter. Uh, and I also, Bradley is going to have the socials that he's going to clock at the end of the episode. So, Hope and Chris, thank you for coming out for this emergency therapy session. Uh, fingers crossed, I don't want to make cash. I cannot say this. I said it on the, tried to say it on the episode with Calvin. I don't want my mouth to write checks that I can't cash, or I don't know what the saying is. I don't want to make unnecessary promises. So thank you guys so much. Here's to Midnight Horizon, which already people are saying is going to be the gayest book so far. I have have heard on the sly that that Midnight Horizon is the gayest book since Ronin. All right. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) Everyone, go, go, uh, pick up your pet if you have a pet or have a nice cup of tea or something uh, because if you've listened to this episode you've read the fallen star and if you've read the fallen star you fucking need it yeah hydrate or dehydrate on the, <laughs> the starlight beacon <laughs> maybe maybe Stella Geo should have hydrated less Aww. <laughs> thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze did we forget something email us at gold at gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze.